Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com or shoot him a call at 773-340-1286. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if it is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 125. And my guest this week is Ross Farrar of the band Ceremony, of the band Spice, of the band Crisis Man. He also is a poet. Uh, he's released a couple books. We talk about that. We talk about all these things and not to sound uh, too hyperbolic, but this is uh, one of my favorite interviews. It's, uh, this is the reason why I keep doing this. It's these kind of conversations. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I uh, did having it. If there's a chance that you are new here, I want to let you know that there's a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, there's a bonus episode available right now where Ross answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. That is a common occurrence here. Uh, Most episodes have these bonus episodes. And uh, if you feel like you want to participate in submitting questions to upcoming guests, head on over to the Patreon, sign up. Uh, There's a couple tiers. You get access to a Discord channel. There is uh, bonus radio hours, all sorts of stuff that happens over there. Um, It's a cool community, and I'm really proud of it. And uh, I adore everybody who's a part of it. So if you want to hang out, join up, head on over to the Patreon. I'd really appreciate it. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, please do so. Leaving a positive rating and review, all those sorts of things help. means a whole lot. And lastly, if you want to shoot me an email directly about the show, maybe you have suggestions, comments, thoughts, anything, that email is thefirstevermailbag at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Ross Farrar. Uh, what's up, Ross? It's it's fucking it's awesome to finally be doing this. We've been talking about doing this for a long time, and here we are. It's happening. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, yeah, having a having a day going very good, swimmingly, as they say. So I can't complain. Awesome, awesome. How was uh How was your holiday season? Was it okay? Holidays were good. I just kind of stayed at the house. I didn't go anywhere. Um, as we've spoken, my wife is pregnant, so we're trying to steer COVID. You know, we're not trying to go to any shows or go to any gatherings or anything, just so no one gets sick. So I've just been sitting at home and uh, watching like Hitchcock films, et cetera. <laughs> nice. Any which ones in particular? Anything uh, the you birds, haven't seen? The birds, dude. Uh, the birds. <laughs> is it just making you think of home? 
Yeah, because, you know, it's got Bodega Bay right there. And then, you know, even they talk about Santa Rosa a little bit. And I used to go to the Tides restaurant going up like all the time, like maybe, you know, a couple times a year or something. So, yeah, I was actually I was about to ask you if uh, there are many locations from that film that are still there now. Mm -hmm, Big time. That main restaurant, the Tides, where they shot a lot of the stuff is still there, still has that same bar and everything. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, it had been a long time since I had seen it. And it's so funny. There was like a, uh, what is a, what's it, the the Mandela effect or whatever it is, where, where people talk mm-hmm. about like, you think it's one thing, but it's actually the other, where mm-hmm. uh, we got in a debate in the van one day whether that movie was black and white or in color. <laughs> and yep. so many of us thought it was black and white, but it is in fact yeah. in color, right? Big time. Yeah, it's in color. Yeah, and then we looked it yeah. up, and that seemed to be a pretty big internet conversation really? on how people remember it. Yeah, it was super oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of movies from that time were black and white, so people kind of just locked their heads into that, I feel like. Yeah, I thought sure. what's funny is a lot where when the, bir- when the birds are going crazy and they're attacking everyone, you could hear the, the cats. They made, like, special effects sounds, so they used cats for the bird sounds, like meowing and scratching. It's pretty it's- pretty funny i'm sure especially like once you read that and know that that's like all you hear is well. oh my gosh i couldn't believe it i was like these are just cat sounds coming from flying birds <laughs> so good which so is the good. antithesis of what a bird sounds like it's yeah right weird exactly thing. it's great yeah the mortal enemy the mortal um enemy. <clears throat> so uh, you know because you are obviously a musician uh there's going to be a lot of music questions, but also, you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you because you're also uh, someone who's been uh, pretty active as a, as a poet. So that's exciting to talk to you about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first two questions I'll ask you is uh, for one, you know, when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house, but something that like, you know, made you feel like you had your own identity. Wow. Well, I would have to say the first thing I really connected to was probably the souls of mischief 93 till infinity because I had gotten as a gift a four on one volume two for my 10th birthday. And it was right around the time that the Santa Rosa skate park had opened or actually no opening day. I had a birthday party opening day at the Santa Rosa skate park. Oh shit! And awesome. um, yeah. And I went there and my, my mom's best friend, um Jackie Timmer got me the four on one volume two and I watched it, you know, probably every single day for like two years of my life, you know. And uh one of the competition street scenes, which is I don't think it's in the Bay. I think it was actually in a New York street scene. But this could be Mandela effect, because it could have <laughs> been in the Bay, because it would make okay. more sense there being that they're from Oakland, but it's uh I believe it was some kind of New York like street competition they were having and they did 93 Tone Finney's a song and I immediately latched onto it. It was like I was obsessed with that ever ever since then. Yeah, I was going to ask because that's like obviously a, uh, a, you know, like an underground hip hop group and it, what, how you found that. So that, but that would make sense if it was from like a skate video. Yeah, it was um, a skate video. I learned a lot about music through skate videos. I did uh did that lead you to stuff like like hieroglyphics and bands like, yeah. or like groups like that? Yeah, hundred percent. I got. I was actually. I was into hip hop before I was into the punk scene. I um, I got into it probably through skateboarding, you know, and um, 
yeah, I really early on, and I remember uh, getting into like the soul, like, the Souls of Mischief high row course, and then getting into some LA stuff like the Far Side, um, Alchemist, and we used to go see um, Mystic Journeyman at uh, their Bay Area, but we used to go see Mystic Journeyman at the Phoenix Theater, and you know I saw Dead Prez at Maritime Hall. And, you know, the list would go on. And I was like a really backpack hip-hop kid. He used to ride the bus in the San Francisco to Skater Park Darrow and shit. So I, I just, I had my big headphones, you know. I had whatever I had in my backpack. And, and that was it for me. I was in love. And then I kind of got into punk when I got into high school. But I also bought music. Like, I I remember buying a... I remember buying a couple different CDs. I bought the filter CD, the the, uh, the orange one with Hey Man, Nice Shot. I'm going to forget what the title of it is. Oh, and wait, then, wait, uh, wait. Well, Hey Man, Nice Shot was on Short Bus. Oh, shit. Okay, that one was more like whitey, kind of silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colors, yeah. Right? The, okay. I think the one you're well, talking about has the, is that, that, that the one that has like that Take My Picture song? Yeah, that's what it, that's the Yo, one. That song is good. That song's good. It's good. Yeah, filter. I like that band. And then I... You know, I had diff- I, I was buying tapes before CDs, so I, w- I remember getting like Iron Man, uh, um, Wu Tang. Who's the Wu Tang person I'm thinking of? Um, uh, is that the Ghostface Killer? Yeah, Ghostface. Yeah. yeah. And um, I bought like a New Order tape, uh, the white one with the face on it. Low Low Life, I think it's called. Yeah. And. You know, a bunch of different stuff. We had a place called Backdoor Disc and Tape in uh, Katati, California, which is next to Rona Park, and I bought all my stuff there. But it was mostly hip hop for a long time. Nice, nice. And then, so yeah. uh, now for the poetry stuff, like at what was it? Was it much later in your life when you found an interest in that, or was it like while you were in school, like a you know, like a junior high or high school? Yeah, it was much later because in junior high and high school, I was a terror, and I was just ripping up the streets, getting in trouble, uh, suspended expulsion. You know, I didn't really have time to read poetry when I was a young, when I was a youngster, but, <laughs> sure. um, you know, I, I got into it, I think cause of really cause of ceremony, you know, cause I tried my hand at writing lyrics for ceremony is the first time I'd ever do done something like that. And then, um, I kind of just gravitated a little bit more toward, uh, the artistry of that with words and everything. And I eventually went back to school, like when I was about 25, this must've been in like 2000 and well, I wasn't 25, it was a little earlier than that. It was in like 2010, I kind of started going back to school a little bit more and, you know, things kind of escalated. I started getting into writing essays and I really, I started getting into writing fiction before I wrote poetry. Um, and I was super into fiction, short fiction. And, um, and then I went to Berkeley and I had a teacher that told me that my um, my poems had more authority than my fiction did. It was a Robert Haas. He's a poet at Berkeley. And um, so then I just started re- applying for MFA programs after that, after, after I was in Berkeley. But yeah, I kind of got into poetry late in life, <clears throat> big time. That's. Well, I got a few questions here. One, I think it's awesome that it's, that it was like a, uh, a professor that gave you that confidence you know, yeah, like, for sure. it, it does sometimes take uh, someone who has, you know, like seemingly some sort of authority, at least on the subject to, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess, get in your head that maybe you're better at one thing than the other, or even that you're good at something in general, you know, like yeah. that, that is such a motivator. Because it's one thing to have your friends tell you. But of if course, it's one thing, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, it was double-sided, though, because I had a teacher. Well, I was trying to apply for a fiction program, and it was Joyce Carol Oates who was running it. And she had turned down one of my stories. She said I was. It was basically like you applied to this pro to this uh, workshop they had at Berkeley, and she denied me. And I asked her what was wrong with my story. And she said it was too fantastical. So then after that, I I was kind of crushed because I was really into writing fiction. And then I talked to Robert Haas. He said do poetry. Those are better at. <laughs> it was like double the two crazy super like incredible. Uh, um, writers were telling me these different things, you know, so I'm glad I went with poetry though. That's awesome. Is there, do you ever yeah. still write fiction just for practice? Not really. I mean, I haven't wrote a short story in a long time. I'm kind of trying to write something longer, like novel form, but it's going to be pretty fragmented, um, more poetic than, uh, just straight narration, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Shh. Sure. So now to to backtrack a little bit. So you said, you know, you kind of got more interested in the poetry aspect once you started writing lyrics and things like that. Mm. Um, was that from a certain band that whose lyrics like you gravitated mm. towards that made you realize? Because there's I mean, this is absolutely not a slight because I, you know, I am in the same boat as you where yeah. early, cer er, early ceremony lyrics are like just straightforward angsty punk lyrics that's yeah, how i read them, if punk. that's okay if that's not offensive yeah, yeah of course of course so and then as the band grows you know your your writing shifts and it becomes mm -hmm. a lot more cerebral all sorts of stuff so like mm -hmm. what um what for you was that change like what was there certain bands you were getting into it's interesting i mean early on ceremony when we were first starting my my the the thing I drew most inspiration from was Panic, that Bridge Nine band. I really liked it as a modern band. Besides, like some of the like power violence stuff that we were listening to early on at the time, um, as a modern band that did straight up hardcore, but it was a little faster. And I liked there was something about Giddy's lyrics that I thought were kind of uh, they were a little more floral than other punk bands. There was a tiny bit of uh, of like poetics in there that I latched onto. You know, there's some people, a lot of people in that time, they kind of gravitated more towards um, American Nightmare, I think. But, um, you know, no offense to Wes or anything. He, uh, I, I love American Nightmare, but it was, I was gra much more gravitated towards Panic because I think the sound of the music possibly. I liked it, but, you know, I liked, I liked what Wes was doing in, in his lyrics and everything, but I liked the hard, uh, the hardness of uh, Gibby. And, you know, he was kind of involved with like skinhead culture and stuff. So there was something about it that I really dug. And then, um, you know, I, I don't know, as far as like getting into uh, kind of the more abstract stuff or some of the more like um, poetics involved in lyric writing. I mean, there were so many things that was changing for me at that time. I can't really point to one, but what sure. I really, what I really want to kick on is though, is what Gibby was saying in panic. And I was always, I was very interested in paradox. You know, you hear about life, uh, uh, love and hate a lot in ceremony and um, uh, different kind of, um, I don't know, like uh, uh, contrasting elements you hear. I was always kind of obsessed with that. So everything's mostly been about that. If I can figure out something that I can point to, it's a little more artsy and maybe come back to me, but I can't right now. <laughs> no, for sure. And just, yeah. you know, for, for fun podcast sake, for full circle situation, it's awesome, you know, that Gibby is a band is uh, someone that you're 
you know, gravitating towards when you're younger and writing lyrics and things like that. And now you're putting out records on his label with Spice. Yeah. So it's a cool full circle situation. That was the first thing I, I mean, when I sent him the email about Spice, the first initial email, I said, listen, man, Panic (laughs) was huge for me. I don't want to punish you too much, but I got to say it right now. Like, Panic was a huge inspiration for me, modern hardcore when I was a kid. You know, there weren't any breakdowns. It was just fast, straightforward with that. I was like, okay, this is what I like. I've probably spent in the in the past thirty seconds trying to think of the sing along from that seven inch that has the word kids in the sing along. Help me out. What is it? Kids, uh, kids, uh, kids like us will be alone forever. Kids like us, kids like us will be alone yes. together. I think is the one. That's it. Kids that's like it. Alone forever. Yeah, kids, yeah, so good. yeah. That's a so that's good. a fucking. That was uh that was the first time that I heard from them, and I was like, okay, I'm in. And then also, you know, like to kind of tie in the West thing, it's like you realize, okay, he was in the trouble that American Nightmare covered. At some yeah, point. yeah, they were in cahoots for sure, big yeah. time. So and yeah, I don't know, you yeah. know, West definitely probably got some inspiration from him and Gibby. You know, even that line, there's a little bit of sadness. There's a little bit of emo ness in that line. You know, that we'll be alone together and forever. It's like wow. Yeah. Shit, man. It's super good. It's super good. Um, What was uh, what was the first concert you ever went to? Was it a hip hop concert? Um, no. My dad took me to see the Rolling Stones in ninety seven Bridges of Babylon tour. Or is that ninety eight? I think that was ninety eight. Yeah. That's and that was at the Oakland Coliseum, and I was obsessed with that. uh, 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 Start me up. You know, and I was like, when I was a kid, I was like, Dad, I want to see Stabby. You know, I was thinking along to it. And I think they played at the very end. Was, and that was my moment. That was my rock and roll moment, you know? For sure. I feel like that's a perfect, uh, you know, like the Stones are obviously one of those groups that uh, is like generational. You know, you always hear mm-hmm. like, oh, my grandpa took my dad and my dad took me kind of a thing. Yeah, see of them. Uh, but it's funny how they do have songs in their catalog, which will 1000% appeal to a little kid. And that start me up song. It's <laughs> definitely it. one of those. That's it. It's kind of a jock jam when you really think about it. I know. I know. Totally. It's like, yeah, it gets the, uh, the it gets the stadium jacked up or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. Slugging them back. Um, who, this is a, you know, this might be too hard of a question to remember from that, but I would, you know, whenever I find out about like someone's first concert and it's like a big show like that, I'm always curious who opened. Do you remember at all who opened Pearl that show? Jam. No fucking way. Cause that was a, that was a double entendre for me. I was obsessed with Jeremy at the time. That's that hit yeah. single they had about, uh, you know, kids killing kids. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I'll never forget. I was. This goes along with the story around the same time I was a kid and I was at Flower Power Pizza. My parents um, knew the owners, bless their hearts. They were in the, they were in the walk-in doing cocaine with the owners. And I was sitting at the bar looking up at the television and there was OJ speeding down the freeway with his white Bronco. And I'm sitting there eating pizza. My parents getting hopped up, party in the back, you know. And I'm watching this shit go down. It was crazy. And it was around that same time because I remember pumping the jukebox with quarters with Jeremy and Pearl Jam's Jeremy. So I really essentially went for Jeremy, but I got Start Me Up with it. Wow. It was sexy, you know, truly. Dude, what a show. What a show. That's awesome. Those are two bands I've still never seen live. Uh, And, you know, would love to have both of those off the bucket list. Um, Yeah. Beautiful. did you uh did you ever try to play an instrument 
Um, not as a kid, no. I didn't start playing an instrument until I um, tried, I'll put that in quotations, playing bass in the downhouse. Very poorly, I might add. Uh, I was never very good. I'm starting to kind of learn how to play um, uh, instruments now. Um, but I don't play any kind of instrument well, you know, I kind of just mess around, mess around on the piano and on the bass and I pick a little bit on the guitar, but I'm gonna tell you, I talked to you about this too. You know, I'm trying to do solo music right now and I don't think I want to learn any of this stuff good or professionally. I like the way that it's coming out, like kind of art brute and like kind of, uh, you know, backwards sounding almost or something. So I like that about yeah. it. Yeah. There's, there's something, uh, honorable about, um, just try to make what you think sounds good without having to worry about the technical aspects of it, right? Yeah, it's freeing because I'm not worrying about what you know the perfection of it or anything. You know, it's just uh, it can just be what it is and exist how it is. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, professional. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, has that because yeah, I mean, if it's not giving away too much for listeners, you know, you had some, some stuff you've been working on. Mm-hmm. Um, was that also you teaching yourself how to use recording? Uh, yeah, stuff yeah. as well. God, Big time, I, yeah. I, I got one of these Alesis. For... What is it called? Alesis uh, Multi Mix Four. It's like a where you just you know it's an interface that you plug in your uh, bass, your guitar, whatever, and goes right into the computer. You should use GarageBand, make a demo, and yeah. then I went over to um, our good friend Phil Odom and said, "Hey, here's some money. Let's do two days of recording this shit," and then it was done. It's easy as that. Oh, nice man. That's yeah. awesome. Has that yeah. been uh has has that been just nice for you to do in your downtime, like as a exercise to kind of mellow your brain out, maybe with uh some 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 uh, excited <laughs> nervousness about this upcoming child? Yeah, as soon as I got the no, no notion of the child coming, I was like, okay, I got to get done everything that I can get done in my slack time right now because God only knows I'm not going to have any time to do anything. So, so for sure, I was like, oh, gotta do this record, like I gotta do this, this, and that, you know crazy i respect it i respect it um so was here's something i don't know was uh ceremony the first band you ever did uh hammer time was the first band i ever did oh tell me about hammer time which was like kind of like it was a straight edge uh punk band we who did we kind of what did we say it was just kind of verse course hardcore really like in the vein of negative approach but um it was all about skating like skateboarding and um you know we had a song called skater die just classic kind of like youthful um tropes like that you know what i mean and rj from lifelong tragedy rest in peace who um was also in spice was in the band we had uh um, jason woolery who was also in lifelong tragedy um myself how long how long did this band last? Let's see, probably about six months to a year. It was very short lived. Okay. We put out uh we put out a little demo with our, our friend Jesse in Berkeley, Jesse Miller Gordon. Um it was called actually Title Fight Records, funny enough. And wow. then okay. I think if you find it on YouTube or something, it's um Did you sing I'm assuming you sung in the band? Yeah, I sung in it, yeah. Um yeah. It was it was youthful, you know. It was uh, our first shot at, at hardcore punk, and we were in high. Well, I was a senior in high school, I guess, or maybe I was a year out of high school then. 
Okay, yeah, because yeah, I remember a long time ago, I did a radio show many, many, many moons ago, and I had Anthony on, and I think that this oh, yeah. is coming back, because, yeah, because you guys met when you were in high school, and the band kind of started yep. when you guys were both in high school, right? Yep, indeed. Cool. He cool. was in high school. I think I was, at ceremony, I was about a year out of high school, or I was just getting out of high school. Um, yeah. You know, I'm almost 40 now, so uh, anything uh, 10 years or more ago, meaning it starts to drift. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts to drift. I understand. No. That's it's funny. Well, five that's the, years. I don't know, man. There's this magic that happens uh, on this show in particular, where especially it's like the nerve of me to like ask anyone who's like you know lived a long life at this point to like remember stuff from when they were high, in high school. But the joy oh, is when Lord. you see someone on their face remember something that they hadn't thought about mm -hmm. in 25 years that's that's the joy for me to be like oh okay. yeah for sure you know? it's going we're going back here i mean and i i think with my mind too i i, I remember very meaningless minute details of things i sure. remember in hammer time i snuck out of the i was i had had a i was on house arrest for doing something <laughs> and i had to check in with my probation officer right and i remember leaving my house in the night sneaking out of my house to go play a show with hammer time at this uh at the um the burton center which is right next to the high school or no excuse me the middle school i went to mount shadows middle school and it was a big thing so i was like fuck i need a call back am i gonna go to jail you know i was all upset and scared and like everyone's like you gotta call you gotta play the show man and like whoa and um that's one fun detail i remember about hammer time and, what was uh what yeah. was the first show you ever played with hammer time oh my gosh that's a hard one this doesn't sound like this not to not to generalize but this doesn't sound like a band that probably played a, a talent show no we played <laughs> <laughs> i think anthony was in he, anthony's band rubber band played a talent show or something. my i i think we played at like the burt like the burton center which i just said the phoenix gilman we might have played like a couple other places and that was it you know maybe a couple house shows something yeah. like that um and yeah, we, you, you know, ceremony are really, we played one song before we played our first show, the Phoenix at uh, the Brown Eye Barn. There's a picture of it somewhere. I, I think on my phone we did. Um, it's going to be a cold winter, which is, you know, like yeah. 40 seconds or whatever it is. <laughs> and we did that. And that was our actual first gig at the town. Okay. And then we played a month later, uh, the Phoenix. So, so I think Hammer Time might've played the, the, the Brown Eye Barn. Uh, when you, think, when you think back <laughs> a bit, uh, it you know it's fun to always ask people who sing in bands this, but uh, do you remember anything about if you had any sort of planned stage presence, or if it was just gonna just roll? Like what happened? Whatever happens, mm. happens. Like, do you remember anything about that, or do you think your it stage was definitely presence that? Now, yeah, it was like come as you are, just do whatever the fuck you want. I had X's on my hands. I was straight edge then. Okay. I think that was, I was straight edge for maybe a six month period of time. And then I called it quits because, uh, you know, I, I went that direction, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, that was a straight edge time in my life. We had songs about being straight edge and hating people who weren't the whole shebang. It was sure. Awesome. Hey, I mean, as uh, I believe there's an over my dead body song that says those who scream the fucking loudest are the first to fucking go. So, yep. uh, so yep, there yep. you go. <laughs> and there it is exactly in the terms right there you know because i was 
as hard as I could possibly go, I was going for it. Yep. With my voice, yep. that is. With my voice, that is. This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Um, and then uh, what else we got? So you said that band that band recorded a demo? Yeah, we did a demo. Okay. Yeah. And uh, was that your first? I'm assuming that was your first recording experience? Yeah, it's first recording experience. We did it with this guy named Forrest, who, Forrest, who was in All That's Off. Uh, okay. He had a little spot outside of San Francisco. Was it Burlingame or Redwood City? Something like, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember we had gone down. We had, we had left to go to this uh, to stay somewhere the night before. And right before we go and leave Runner Park. We're going driving by this um it was a it was a fire department. Something was happening and we got pulled over by the police and the fire department came out, we're questioning questioning us and we almost got into a lot of trouble for something. The thing that it, that, it, that what was happening to us escapes me now. It's some bullshit. But um that kind of started off our recording experience like we were out late because of these goddamn police were pulled us over and were harassing us over something that was uh kind of well it's obviously irrelevant now who knows what the hell it was it was meaningless then too but you know we had that happen to us and then we got to forest place and it was pretty you know it, it went fine it was quick a lot of bands were um recording with him at that time sure so yeah, it was was cool. it uh did you guys re- do you remember if you recorded it live? Like did you just do it all in one night kind of a thing or Jeremy, this is another thing about me. You know, I uh, for as long as I can remember, I've never really been involved in the in the recording process. I know nothing. I get I have a fear of electricity, so I don't even like to plug anything into anything, you know? Like I don't like to plug in these cords into this this interface and shit. It's trip it trips me out. So I don't know. I don't know what he's doing on the dials. I don't know if it was live or not. I assume it was live, but I, okay. you know, for, I, we, we, we always, whenever we record, we go into separate rooms for all this fucking different instruments. So it could have been done it that way. I don't know how. We did it. I, I, we have, I'm sorry. I got to ask where, when did the fear of electricity start? We got to break. It's this always down. been like that. It's always, it's always been like that. Yeah. Did you in like ceremony? Get, like, did you get electrocuted as like a young kid? I mean, it could be something like that. It might, but I don't really directly remember it. It could be somewhere in the back of my mind, subconsciously. It might have happened when I was young or something. But I just hate those goddamn sockets. Putting anything in them, something, it just creeps me out. Sure, it's my one fear. Okay. My one fear. <laughs> God damn. I'm getting better That's... at it now because I'm starting to learn how to record things and all that. So. Yeah, you know, I got this new amp over here. I got a, uh, I got a Roland Juno DS here. I have to plug things into. I'm getting better about it. You know, it's just okay. it's one of those things that takes practice over time. I will, maybe the fear of electricity will be lifted upon uh, lifted from me. You know, I don't know. We're all here for you. We're all here for you. <laughs> uh, did uh, so did that band uh, tour or or no? No, 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 no. Just played okay, the Bay so- We didn't play anywhere else. 
Sure, sure. Okay, so ceremony yeah. starts. Uh, mm -hmm. The first thing, did you guys do anything before that ruined seven inch? No. There was, okay, that was demo, the first thing. But it was like same songs pretty much, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, that, uh, so when I think of the, that seven inch and then also uh, like the violence, violence LP, the thing that I immediately think about is that is, I don't know if you've thought about this or you realize this, but it is one of the loudest recordings in the sense of mastering oh, yeah. or whatever, where like if you a B that record with any of your other records, any of most mm. anybody's records, it's one of the loudest fucking just like abrasive recordings. And it's something that I've always appreciated about that. Um, it doesn't sound like you had anything to do with that. Just <laughs> with that I didn't decision. even know this was a thing at all. <laughs> I don't even know. What, but, what is this? A B speak of? Is that like speaker A, speaker B? Yeah, like it's what it's just like. If Beautiful. you, if you, if you, even if you just like opened up fucking probably Spotify and just listened to like "Still Nothing Moves You" and then a song oh, of okay. "Violence, Violence," it's just like mm -hmm. it's crazy how much louder it is. And it's something that just, uh, as an aside, wow. I've always appreciated. Um, That's but, cool. Uh, you, I like you that. record it. You recorded that uh, with, is it Zach Oren? Is that how you say his last yeah. name? Yeah, Oren. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And what brought you guys there? Was it just like the history of the studio? Did you know him? Or like, was that like an, in, like a... Lifelong Tragedy, I recorded a bunch of stuff with him and other bands in the barrier at the time were doing it. I remember it was, a lot, it was he did a lot of computerized stuff. So he did a lot of, ding, 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 ding. you know, it wasn't a lot, as much live stuff, I don't think. But... You know, again, this is a uh, I, I, this is a question for Anthony. He's involved okay. in the whole process of that. I um, I just show up. I have the classic, you know, the singer syndrome, the first, the elite singer syndrome shit. Okay, terrible. so what we're gonna do because my foolish ass made little notes about uh, about like maybe each one of your records with who you recorded with. So what we're gonna okay. do is we're we're gonna go from the. Uh, well, first we could talk. We could talk about release stuff. So the first seven inch okay. came out on mal on malfunction, though. So yeah, yeah. Um, that was obviously True Prey who ran that label mm -hmm. before ended up selling it to Deathwish or whatever else happened mm -hmm. there. Um, how did you know True? Did he did he approach you guys? Did he catch you guys at a show? Like, do you remember anything about that connection? Because malfunction um, was certainly like was certainly like popping off and, uh, for like that era, like that mid two thousands era. I think he just heard the demo and he approached us because he was really psyched about it at the time. I mean, sure. we had a lot of people that came up to us quickly during during the whole thing when the de it was the demo. Only kind of people in the Bay Area really had it. I mean, I remember bringing it to I think a Make Move show in um, was it Make Move or what was their other band that they did? No, it's the other band they did. Oh shoot! I can't remember which, what the other one was. Man, it's escaping me down. Maybe it was just where it was the people from Make Move. Um, what's the city that they're from? They're from like uh, from my from my memory. They're they're from uh, like where Dangers are from, right? Like that kind of area. Like uh, sort yeah. of, no, like El Segundo. No, think, no, no, they weren't El Segundo. They were. Uh, now, now this is really going to bother me. That's good. We're going to have to revisit that. But okay, it was at a house I, show over there. Inglewood. Okay. That's where it was. Ingle it was in Inglewood. Oh, from, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we had, went to a house show there at Inglewood, and I had like a like a stack of ceremony uh, CDR demos with the roses thing on it, and I was just giving them out to everyone, just handing them out. We didn't have the tapes. The tapes were, I think, for the first show, or maybe for like a different kind of run. But we had the CDR, so I gave them out there. 
and a little bit of word started spreading in California, but it wasn't until I guess we played um, the Posse numbers. We drove all the way out to play the Posse numbers, just one show. Didn't book any kind of tours around that, you know, or no other dates. We just fucking drove across the country to play the Posse numbers thing. And then I think that's where True, uh, he started to holler at us after that was when we played the show because we had some people see us there on the East Coast that have obviously never heard of us before. And then it kind of sprouted from there. So I'm assuming that's that's what we could probably pinpoint is maybe not the first tour, but the first time that you like left California to play a show. Yeah, big time. Big time. How was that? And that uh, was a big ex- leap. That was like, yeah. you know, in Pennsylvania. So Yeah. How was that experience for you? Did you did you enjoy it? Were you excited? Yeah, I mean, that was my first real time kind of like in a van tour guy thing, you know, where I mean it was a straight barrel, so we just filled up. We drove the whole way. Um, we had a couple of our friends with us who weren't involved in the band come with us. So that was fun. We got to kind of, you know, do, uh, the gas station, uh, tomfoolery and, uh, staying in the little crappy hotel, sleeping in the van, you know, all the things that come with it. So that was the first taste of that. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, after that show, we did a policy numbers. It was kind of when the band started to, we got hearsay and people approaching us for shows and different things like that not to you know it's funny it's like not to romanticize all of those like first tour things or whatever but like i have you know i always say and it always comes up here where like the people you meet on those like the first whether it's like the first travel situation whether it's like across the u.s or the people you meet on your first european tour it's like those are the people that are going to be your friends going oh forward, yeah like every like forever oh you know God, yeah yeah dan anderson he is he was the person i met at that first posi number who, who now continues to be one of my greatest friends and he's such a dear i um you know um, my heart is i could feel it the blood going through it right now for him i love that i love oh, that that's, that's really sweet um, yeah. so uh i want to ask with violence violence i mean like you know i i'm always a big fan of when a band will cover a song and then that band's version is dramatically bigger than the original uh <laughs> what what brought what uh what put you guys on to uh red sea to do that uh pressures on cover i've always been curious to that because obviously you know like that song is famously on the flex your head comp from yeah. discord you know yeah. i don't i don't yep. think did they put out an lp i don't think they did right i think it was like just kind of songs on the comp yeah anyway songs. i got yeah. i learned about that song because of rock from the crypt they did a cover of them Oh, and uh pressure's on yeah i think it's on screen jagged screamer maybe a different but it's i love their cover of pressure's on and um it's so strange in life you know these things you 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 get attached to these things and obsessed with these things and then you know you get these crazy connections later in life because then of course we you know we meet uh we meet john swami Reese. later and we do yeah. you know we do john reed we you know we do the record with him and I mean, it was because of that cover um, that I kind of really got hip. Well, no, maybe I, I was there still hip to. I think on a rope I was. I loved on a rope, and then I and then I heard that cover, and I was like, oh, one day I would like to do that song myself. And then it happened. And then I reached out to him because you know I loved Rockin' from the Crypt, and then we made the record. Anyway, um, but yeah, I learned I learned about the cover through through John. That's awesome. Yeah. I was, you know, you, you got, you you said it for me. I was like another full circle situation. It's like that song, you know, the rock from the crypt cover 
uh, brought you to that song, and then fucking yeah. you end up doing a record with John Reese. You know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a theme on the show here. But like, you know, I'm I say over and over and over. My favorite thing about this world we're all a part of is that like the beauty of it is how low the ceiling is. Yeah, you know, where it's like I know. I always say like if you try just hard enough, you can play shows or work with like your heroes in a way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. It's, I know. It's it's pretty beautiful. Um. With uh, when it came to Still Nothing Moves You, I was always curious, like, were you guys kind of being courted by a few different labels around that time? Or was Bridge Nine just like the one that hit you guys up and you guys went there? Because um, you guys were during like... During Malfunction, I think because of Malfunction, yeah. we were close. It was just, they were close to each other. I think that's how it happened. Because, sure. you know, uh, just being in the hardcore scene like so. Um, and I'm sorry, I have to go back to when I made a mistake. I, I was... All systems go with the pressures on. Rocket from the Crypt covers on that record. Okay, oh, okay. back to Bridge Love Nine. I, I'm um, appreci- I, I am happy you corrected the year. That's that's yeah, that's why yeah. we're friends. That I would have done the same. Thing. <laughs> um, there's probably a lot on here that I'm like in my mind. I'm circling back. I that was wrong. That was wrong. Anyway, um, I think it was because yeah, just um, vicinity. Proximity. You know, they were friends. Yeah, proximity. So. That's it. I mean, I don't think that anyone else is really approaching us. Um, sure. Besides, like, you know, Warner and, like, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, and that's <laughs> the first whatever. record you guys did with uh, with Dan uh, Rathbun. Is, I've always, is that how you say his last name? Rathburn, yeah. Rathburn. Yeah, yeah. I think it's with an uh, R, yeah. Rathburn, Dan And uh, I was looking at the discography of stuff he's done, and I saw like he's done. He did like the tragedy stuff, and like his mm-hmm. hero's gone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, were those the bands that were bringing you there, or did you have other friends who had worked yeah. with him before? Yeah, those are the bands that were bringing us there. He um, and he was right there in Oakland, um, right in Temescal in that neighborhood, and it was close to us. And we had a practice space right down the street as well, like literally like a block. Yeah. Um, so everything was uh, lining up correctly. Did you guys, yeah, Dan, ha- did any of you have any sort of like pressure put on you? No pun intended, but like uh, for, for like the follow-up record, like, was that anything you guys had nerves about or were you just like kind of yeah. excited? To I out? mean, we were, whatever. I think it, this goes universally with anyone is when you make something or you do something and people are hyped about it, you know, you're naturally going to be like um, a little bit fearful of the next thing will be as good or you, you know, essentially what you want to do is you want, it's for the people, right? You're creating these as an artist, you're creating music for the people. It's a source of entertainment. And I mean, not of course, just entertainment. It's supposed to kind of like quote unquote imbue the soul and inspire people. Right. But you know, it is one of the reasons why I make music is to give it out to other people to, um, to have for their enjoyment. So of course, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I hope people like this because um, it's hard to get people to like things, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Sorry>. truly. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I felt like that record uh, was like leaned even harder into like the power violence sort of aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Was that like the motivation going into it? Like to go because like, I remember the yeah. guitars feeling a little more jangly uh yeah. things like that yeah uh was there for any still nothing you... yeah for still nothing um i mean yeah it was kind of like you know for me it was like man is a bastard you know kind of like more like arts kind of more arty like punk totally. you know big time but a lot of the lyrics that i were i was really pushing it with 
the lyrics on that. That's when I really started kind of getting into poetics. Um, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, metaphor, simile, all of the devices one can think of. I was kind of just playing with everything. and But I don't know. I was also into philosophy and stuff then, too. I was young, and I was getting into all that kind of academic stuff. You know, I think it kind of comes across in some of the lyrics, like entropy and all of all those different things I was playing with in there. That's awesome. But it was a little uh, more abstract than anything else that I've ever done. Like, I, I don't know. I kind of left that, I kind of left that way of thinking behind and I went a little more straightforward. You could see that on, I guess, Runner Park, you know? For sure. Uh, and then, yeah, I was curious, you know, with that record, you went back to the same person who recorded um, mm-hmm. the previous one. And was there any sort of like, uh, was actually well was the motivation for that kind of like well because you knew what to expect going in with this guy like there was sort of that comfort of like okay we know we can work together pretty well and like you know what you know that alleviates some pressure i think my cat is jealous of your cat i can hear it (laughs) well yeah i think the flow was uh it was much more natural on the on the second one we did with him and uh you know we we had a rapport then so we were familiar. We were having fun. We were joking. We were laughing. We were getting coffee and food and uh, throwing at each other and spilling <laughs> it. It was no big deal. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't as tight. Yeah. It was tight wad as the last one was. So it was a little bit easier that way. Um, did you guys? And we also did the covers too. We recorded the covers in the same session. So oh, I didn't realize that. I yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy. Uh, that covers EP and then the nerd in me really enjoyed all of the artists that you guys put on the cover oh, yeah. of that where it was just like a list of probably every band that you guys all yeah. collectively agree on in one way or another mm-hmm. yeah it's exactly. actually a lot. like master there's <laughs> a lot of weird stuff in there um, did uh were you guys surprised at all with the reaction that that record got because i mean i'm i mean you guys were a lot younger at the time too and your your direction is changing in the sense of it's not quite as aggressive it's more straightforward Mm -hmm. it's hookier things like that was there uh were you surprised at all by the reaction it got yeah i mean i didn't think that record was gonna i get any kind of love i thought it was gonna be a flop myself to be honest with you um the one thing i knew not to pat myself on the back was that the cover art was gonna slay but the music, you know, we, we took a big leap on it, like songs like the doldrums and some of the interludes and, of course, uh, you know, the Wayside 3 and everything. It's, it was different than anything we'd ever done. So we weren't really sure what, what was going to happen with it. But also, you know, I'm going to tell you straight, it's, uh, we didn't really think about that too much. We just made these songs. We're like, oh, people like them or they won't. You know, no big deal. Sure. And But that was like a big turning point for us. I think in our yeah. careers was we're in a park record. So I will never forget. I, I will never forget the first time I heard sick. Cause I was, mm-hmm. uh, I was in the, I was at the death wish office mm-hmm. and wow. we had a record coming out around the same time, if I remember correctly. But anyway, I was out there. Um, our booking agent at the time still had an office there. And so we're, I was in his office and maybe had just come out or someone at bridge nine sent it over whatever it was but we put on that we put the we put the record on and just like i was with merrick our agent and Mm -hmm. we were just looking at each other just like holy shit this is not what i expected and then it's like 
I feel like we both kind of at the same time said like this song is going to be played at the rest of like the rest of their career. Like they're going to be That's having cool, to play yeah. this song every night for <laughs> until the band yeah. stops. It's cool because like you know we I don't know like within our scene within this scene of hardcore that we were um, getting into. I think there wasn't a lot of bands that were doing like kind of more punky or stuff like that. Like um, uh, don't touch me is like really. It's kind of like a blast my war esque kind of song, and that's a really like for me that's like a punk song, you know, big time. Yeah. And um, people weren't really in that scene really doing it that much at that time. Kind of like, you know, we went a little more arty with still nothing moves you before it got arty, and we kind of got right in there right at the right time, I think, for each of the releases. Now, um, I don't know, I haven't really been thinking about it too much in those terms now, but it seems like we kind of touch upon these different little parts of the genres. Um, and the time where they're coming on or when time, but that could also just be zeitgeist or like, you know, how there's those bands that they'll put out something in uh, one part of the world and then unknowingly abandon another part of the world to put out something along the same lines. It's just culturally how things happen. And, and uh, you know, so I don't really know, but I, I always, I, I think about it a lot. I think uh, it's, it's interesting to hear what different sounds come out, what different kind of eras. And now the band has almost gone through 20 years coming up on it. It's amazing. So yeah. much Touche Moray, right? So it's a trip. Yeah. We're about to do our 15, but you guys, you guys have a few years on us before, uh, yeah. before us. The, uh, what I think is great about Ceremony is that when you guys do announce a new record, that it's always exciting to see which direction you guys are leaning mm-hmm. into. And, um, you know, obviously, if you put on violence, violence, and then you put on the spirit world record, you're like, okay, how is this the same band? But if like, if you obviously, <laughs> yeah. if you, if you, if you listen throughout the journey, you know, like, it's a journey that takes you there. And I think that For that's sure. such a, a special thing that like, I can't really point to many other bands that you can yeah. say did something like that. Um, it's quick, like Christmas uh, every time, you know, it's yeah, you get the bell box, baby. Uh, yeah. So it's so funny. I have a I have a really funny question that I asked Anthony one night when we yeah. were on tour together many years ago, mm-hmm. um, and I watched his face contort with oh, with, with uh, never having with thought joy. about it before, and it's zoo related. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Do you ever look? Have you ever looked out in the crowd and looked at someone and been like, "Oh, Grand Theft Auto brought that kid here." <laughs> I never have. Uh, now I'm going to. Uh, that's that's exactly songs. what that's exactly what Anthony said. He said, "I've." He was like, "Now that's all I'm going to be looking out in the crowd for." Because I, I mean, hope yo, not. It's Fuck. like the no it's offense, like the... gamers. <laughs> but shit, I hope not. Oh, I mean, man. talk. It's like the biggest fucking video game in the world, and yeah, you get to no, have no. your sick ass fucking song on there. Um, I but never anyway, think yeah. about that. That's weird. Well, look, I mean, how many kids got into music because of Tony Hawk? How many yeah, Tony Hawk yeah, games? That's true, yeah, yeah it's have... like for me, it's for my skate video. There, theirs is the Tony Hawk video game. I never thought about it that way. Interesting yeah, context. yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like it's fun to make a joke about, but it is extremely helpful. Like we, I mean, mm. we fucking Epitaph put yeah. us on like a we're in like a racing video game, and I was like, mm-hmm. I don't even know how popular this game is. But then the year following, maybe once every. I'm fucking week on tour someone comes up and says i never heard you before but i play this racing game Whoa. and uh that's where oh, i heard your band fuck. so <laughs> i'm just kidding that's 
<laughs> it doesn't, nothing matters. It's all uh, good. All love. Okay, so now I'm just, yeah. That's, uh, I just needed to get that that uh, that hysteria Thanks question out of the way. You're ruining my mind, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love that record. I think it's super fucking cool. I love that you went to uh, a, like a, a producer that, you know, as far as I had seen, especially at the time, had done like a bunch of cool like indie rock stuff, like Sleater mm-hmm. Kenny and Death Cab and whatever. Yeah. Um, did you think yeah. from your? I know, I know how we all know how you feel now about like the recording experiences, but um, do you? Uh, was there anything that you think you like took away from maybe that record that you like uh, learned that you hadn't, you know, maybe experienced before? Just because it's like a different kind of producer. Um. Hmm. The differences were slight. I mean, the only thing I can remember really is pre-production. John was um, a little more thorough with it. He, um, John Reese, that is, who, you know, we did a lot of changes to the songs. And um, personally, I was, like I was saying, I was I was sober for the entire duration of the recording of Zoo. Uh, we stayed in Seattle at our friend's house. I didn't drink a lick of alcohol, alcohol until the last day, um, which unfortunately was... I think some of my best takes were when I was got a little, I was drinking the red stripes, you know, but <laughs> that was the only difference really for me. You know, I, I don't really remember the technical stuff as much, so I don't really know much about anything technically with music. Um, and, and this is so just so I know, and this is for L shaped man where you didn't drink. Yeah. No, 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 oh. no, no. <laughs> for zoo. For Zoo, okay. I didn't drink. For Zoo, um, you didn't I don't, drink. Okay. I don't remember really what the reason was. I think I was maybe just going through a hard time then. It's hard to say. But during L-Shaped Man, I definitely did because John Reese has a little tiki bar in his house. And, you know, after all the days, we go in there. He's smoking cigars, you know, having a good old time. And he owns, he owns a bar in San Diego. And that could be a whole other podcast for the recording of L-Shaped Man. Fair enough, man. The, uh, yeah. There's a song on L Shape Man that has that I would put in like my top five favorite ceremony songs. Uh, and would just and I just want to like maybe just get your two cents on it. Like what what uh okay. what the song sort of means to you, which is the root of the world song. I love your vocals. Oh yeah, because yeah, because I do scream. I yelled the vocals in that one. That was the only one I yelled them in in that record. Totally, and, and, and yeah, yeah, I'm sort of curious what the what the choice was there. That was just John having me do it. He's like, do it the way you used to. And I was like, all right, I'll try. Because <laughs> um, I think I the way I had him in the, you can hear it in the demo that we did. I do it differently in the demo. I do it softer. And I think I might, I try to hit a high note, which I'm not very good at. And uh, he said, just do it in your yell voice and see what comes. Yeah. And then there it was. Was it hard for you to make that, to like feel comfortable in the difference? Or were you like, oh, this is the way to go? Yeah, I mean, I wanted the whole record just to be one way. I wanted, I, I essentially wanted it. Anthony and I both wanted it to be in the in the tone of the demos. That's why we put out the demo. We thought that was better. But when we recorded the, we recorded all the vocals, and Maudor, they said it doesn't have enough verb. You know, it doesn't have enough uh, oomph to it. So, give it another try, Ross. And I did, and I didn't like the second try, but they liked it, so we went with that one. <clears throat> wow. Uh, I remember you guys telling us a little bit about that, um, but I didn't know, you know, how comfortable you were wanting to talk about that, like on air or whatever. Was that, was that, was that like a, like a heartbreaking situation? Was that like, did you get in your head about it at all? No, no. I think uh, people, we got to adapt, you know, that's one of our survival techniques. So, you know, I, in order to, to not, you know, 
be upset or sad about whatever. I was like, all right, I'll just give another try and see what happens. And, yeah. You know, no blood lost. With uh, and I'm curious, you know, with the the last record you guys did, the in the spirit world record, um, you know, obviously it's got, you know, it's very synth heavy and things like that. Mm-hmm. When you guys start writing a new record, do you and like Anthony have like a powwow about like the direction the record's gonna go, or do you just start writing and then that's where it leads? Like, is there we just it, start writing yeah. usually? You usually just get into a room, everyone, and we start doing stuff. Anthony has kind of, I think nowadays he has more uh. uh uh, he has more of a hand in it. He did all the synth stuff himself in the last recording um, separately. And we've been talking a little bit about possibly doing another record, but we haven't really come to terms on it. You know, Jake Jake and JD, they live in the Bay Area now, and Anthony and I live in LA. And Jake and JD have... Uh, you know, JD's, uh, he just had a kid, and he's, doing, he's, um, he's teaching math now at a college, so... It's hard for him to get away and get uh, time away. And Jake just had a kid as well. So, you know, those kind of life things are taking over. But Anthony and I have talked a little bit about the direction of maybe a next record, but we haven't uh, come to terms on anything. Nothing's been said yet. It's, um, there's no knowing what we're going to do. I have no idea at this point, you know, it's hard for to sure. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we obviously played together at a Outbreak Fest and mm-hmm. everyone was suffering the same issue of everyone's gear getting lost you know yeah, at the fucking yeah. airport and i'll never yeah. forget anthony being like yeah my uh my keytar didn't make it <laughs> he was like, in hell yeah we had a oh. hellish day of traveling 24 hours of traveling oh. yeah Brutal. yeah um did uh and then so i just want to just to real quick uh talk about some of the other bands so um was there any specific sort of like motivation for doing crisis man like because obviously it's like a punk it's like an awesome just sort of straightforward punk hardcore band um was there something you were just like wanting to to experiment with or like just play with other people like what was the thought behind that yeah i just had some friends who wanted to uh do a punk record my friend nick vicario he uh He's been in tons of different bands. Autistic Youth was one of them. Um, you know, he's played in punk bands all all kinds. He does Smirk now, and he had these songs. And Jeff Sylvester as well. He's another incredible musician out of the Bay Area. He does Mary Narrow, and um, and then of course B from Acrylics. And we all just had like you know we had a we had an idea of just starting a little punk just for fun. You know, doing making a couple records and. It was really just that, just friends getting together and making music. It wasn't really anything more that we didn't have any uh, grandiose plans. Yeah, know, touring guys, the like, world, etc. <laughs> yeah, did you guys have you guys ever done like uh like much touring or just like shows here no, and there? No. We've done famously we did only would do shows in Christmas time because it was when I'd be home from grad school and like uh you know it was everyone was back in the bay area because we were all living different places you know yeah like oh let's do a christmas show we were gonna do one we were gonna do one this year in the bay area with fentanyl and a few and maybe uh world peace and a few other bands yeah but we couldn't do it because um nick's getting married soon and he had some reasons of why what i don't know something we couldn't do yeah um and then with uh with spice uh which is you know the the latest record was like you know, one of my favorite records of the year. Oh, I yeah, no, I saw that. Thank you. Yeah, I love the first release you guys had put out. Obviously, you did a seven inch in between. Mm-hmm. Um, that all my best shit song was like on repeat, even though it's like a yeah. very straightforward kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, mm-hmm. and yeah, over and out. But it's just it, the production on it sounded great. I know you guys did that with like Sam, but like mm-hmm. it, it just 
yeah, I love it so much. But I was curious, what uh, was there like a specific sound that you were reaching for with uh, starting that band? Well, I mean, Cody and I, we were listening to a lot of early Flaming Lips. I think that was our big interesting. That was our big inspiration for that. Um, yeah, we 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 were kind of we were kind of rocking a bunch of different '90s stuff, early Smashing Pumpkins, you know, things like that. Um, but I remember we would have, we would have conversations about the Flaming Lips and we liked some of the stuff they were doing in those early records. The first five records they did, we really enjoyed. And we were like, oh, let's do something that's kind of angular like this, but also has uh, kind of playful, you know? And we liked it. We wanted to do something too that had like some kind of patois, like, so some kind of like language of the North Bay and Northern California. And that had to be in there. That's where all my best shit, that's where it came from. Like just us kind of speaking to each other interesting uh yeah when it comes to it's funny when it comes to the flaming lips that is a band whose deep dive i haven't really ever done and the only song i ever knew from when i was a kid was that she don't use jelly song is that oh, yeah, song? tangerine yeah yeah does that song speak so to how the rest of that record sounds or is that kind of a random no laugh? no i mean they're a really interesting band very dynamic all kinds of different sounds. They do folky stuff, indie stuff, punk stuff, um, a lot of pop, pop heavy. Um, so they're, you know, interesting too. They kind of, each record sounds a little different, you know? And, yeah. um, but you know, those early, the early records are like the soft, uh, soft bulletin. It's great. That's the one that's blue and yellow. Uh, transmissions from satellite is incredible. Like there's not all these fucking different kinds of stuff. And there's so much on the, uh, on the roster, you know, they have like what, like 20 records now or 25 records, something crazy like that. So do you have a, there are one of those bands. Do you have a record that you would point someone to be like, this is where a good starting point would be. Yeah. I think Cloud's taste metallic is a good one. Okay. And that's like the red one. And then also, uh, What's the other one? Hit to Death and the Future Head is another one. That's the one that was specifically for Spice. That was like, okay, yeah, Hit to Death and the Future Head is like the one where Spice pulled the most, I think, from. It has a big, it has the cover is big. It has uh, these huge pink letters that say Hit on the front of it. So yeah, check that one out. That's my favorite one, I think. Okay, okay, <clears throat> awesome. That's good to know. I yeah, I was. Yeah. That's kind of what I was hoping for too to find out like what your whole band was sort of like aiming towards like what mm-hmm. brought that band together. I love that. That's cool. And it's a little um, noisy, you know, and it's, um, it's just an incredible record. I'd say anyone listening, check that one out for sure. Awesome. Slept on indeed. Um, <laughs> my favorite song off of, uh, do you call, is it Viv? Do you just call it Viv? I don't know. Viv, if it, yeah, Viv, yeah. Okay. I don't know if it was V-I-V or Viv. Um, nah, Viv, yeah. Was, uh, my favorite song off that record is Live Scene. I love that song oh, so, yeah. so much. Uh, yeah that's a pop song for sure oh it's the core the chorus is like in my head constantly uh that's so cool i i guess i don't have much of a question for this but like what uh could you tell me anything about that song like what brought you what made that song come together um anything that line um it's a live scene i just kind of like the funkiness of it and it reminded me of like a rock and roll thing right like when we would when we were uh, heavy into um, social culture when we were younger, like bar scenes and things like that, 
uh, we would walk in and think, and we would say to each other, it's a live scene in here, you know, like it's a, it's a happening joint. It's really, uh, it's cracking as the kids say, we say, you know? <laughs> so we just took that and we're like, oh yeah, we should use that for something. And then I kind of, uh, I tied it into love when you're with somebody, um, and you're together somewhere. And if you're really in love with somebody, you're together with them and you're anywhere, then it's going to be like a live scene wherever you go or wherever you're at. That's kind of, that was the idea for the song, I think. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for sharing that. Um, Hell yeah. And la- uh, before I wrap up, I just want to hop back over to the poetry stuff. Um, I remember when you had put out uh, the book through Bridge Nine, which was mm-hmm. like in 2010. Um, yeah. And yeah. you are one of the first, aside from like Wes, uh, you know, for me personally, like one of the first um, front people in a hardcore band that I saw to take a chance and actually like release something like that. And that was such mm-hmm. a big inspiration to me to see happen. Um, and then you took, a, you know, quite a few years between that and this newest book that came out last year. Mm-hmm. That was last year at this point, right? last year yeah i think year, yeah okay. well, oh god uh, sorry yeah i know it's actually 2023 it was now. during Jeez. covid so yeah. like yeah okay. um and i know you had really you know done some uh published you had some published stuff in between there um but for you like how do you think your writing had grown between that first book and then this this one because obviously there was school in between things mm-hmm. like that um, Big was, time. There, was there anything that you learned um maybe about yourself and your writing between those two releases yeah, I mean, the big thing, the big, this could go, this could be a very long in-depth thing, but um, I had no uh, training in poetics at all when the Society Verse came out, you know. I had a little bit of writing from junior college I was doing at the time uh, with my dear, my dear friend and mentor, Richard Speaks, and he kind of like popped it into my head that I could actually write poems. That's how I kind of started doing it, really, but you know, when I break down the stanzas and stuff with the lyric with the lyrics in that book, I don't know what I'm doing at that point at all. I don't know anything about line breaks. I don't know much about stanzas or stanza breaks, or uh, you know, I don't know about sonnets or uh, gazal or any kind of like any kind of like um, poetic device at all. You know, like I don't know about iambic pentameter, any of that stuff. So I kind of just broke lines wherever I felt like breaking lines, whereas. You know, when I actually got an education, when I went to Berkeley and then when I went to Syracuse, I learned all about that kind of stuff. And I got obsessed with all that stuff. So even looking at it now, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's a little bit laughable. Some of the line break and some of the shit that I wrote in the society first. But that's okay, you know, because when you're a kid, you're uh, you're you're learning and you're kind of pointing and shooting at times. So it's fine. But, yeah, you could see the difference in uh, Ross Singh Cherie. of how much more meticulous the art form has become for me, I think. Oh, that's <clears> one, yeah, that was, that's kind of a question I wanted to ask you is like, once you now have an, now that you have an education in all of that sort of stuff, do you find it harder or easier to sort of just freeform write because you now have these sort of, uh, you know, not, I don't want the rule sounds like it's rigid, but like now that you know, the make maybe quote unquote correct way to do it. Is it, has it become harder or easier? Well, it's funny because I've been talking to a lot of friends lately about what's been going on with me as far as poetry goes and poem making. And I haven't really been able to write much since I graduated from the uh, Syracuse program. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. And that, you know, it's funny that you talk about that because maybe that's one reason maybe that I, you know, 
uh, form and everything, maybe I learned a little bit too much and maybe my mind could, because they say writer's block is doubt. So now I think what a lot of my problem is, is I'm doubting myself uh, as a poet. Maybe I can't write uh, write another book that's as good or I can't even come close to anything that I was doing there. Uh, you know, BLM happened and COVID and all these things right after that book came out. So I kind of feel like, or at least then I couldn't really write about my own personal experience with anything because there was all these greater issues going on all around me. And I still haven't really been able to tap into my own stuff. And, you know, there's a slew of different things. I'm becoming a father. I've um, been trying to get clean. I've been doing all this different kinds of stuff. And I haven't really been writing as many poems as much. But, I, you know, I still do write songs and I write lyrics to songs. And that's at least something for me. At least I get my kicks there with that, you know. But um, I don't know. I Hopefully I could find a place because I had this little subterranean uh, basement uh, room where I would go. And that's where I wrote the book in Syracuse. So when it was really cold, I could just go into this little hole and do the thing. Now, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's a part of it. I don't really have a place I really can lock in. But I think that's bullshit too. I think it's really just doubt is what it is. I don't know. But I haven't no, been able to write poems. It's terrible. I, that's so <laughs> relatable. I think that's gonna be relatable for anyone listening too. It's like, you know, yeah. as soon as you feel like you have that doubt, then you also uh start getting really good at coming up with an excuse with uh excuses as to why you're not writing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I People, completely you know. They'll tell themselves anything to reinforce their fallibilities. You know what I mean? So, like, I can make up all kinds of uh, bullshit for me not to, oh, I can't uh, I can't do that today because there's this other thing, you know. And that's classic with with artists and people who are creating stuff. You know, if you're not really feeling the movement of it and you're not inspired, you'll find anything to distract yourself, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you have, I mean, you have a lot – you have a lot coming up in your life, and I think that you're going to find a, a lot to uh, to influence you. I don't. I. I, uh, I think. I think you're going to be okay. I hope. I hope to God. <laughs> um, well, shit, man. Yeah. I'll hit you with the uh, with the last question, which is: When was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? You can answer this in the sense of poetry. You can answer this in the sense of music. Whatever. Whatever works for you. Well, I don't think it was music because that. I don't know. I had. You know, I had Anthony and JD and Jake on my side for so long with a lot of this stuff. And Andy, of course, too, um, you know. But I always had their backing with doing music. So it was pretty easy just being like, hey, was right, let's get together. Let's write some songs. So I think maybe the first time for me was probably, you know, doing all of the work to get into Berkeley from junior college. I did it all myself. Um paid for everything, did all the whole thing, didn't have any help from anyone. That was huge for me because let me tell you what, I hate doing paperwork and I had to do a lot of paperwork for all that. You know what I'm saying? And that was like all me, me coming into my, my own, uh, my own being and like uh, focusing, uh, narrowing in on something, honing in on something uh, that was my own. So I think, you know, doing the Berkeley undergrad and then, it was double getting applying to the, to the graduate program, the Syracuse graduate program. Um, those were, that was a big shifting point in my life, you know, to take on academia like that. So I think that was, um, that was probably the first time. And, you know, when I got out of the grad program, it was like, okay, Ross, it's time for you to apply to a hundred different teaching jobs all over the country. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing any more paperwork, man. Like, I love the kids. Like, I do want to teach. And I, you know, I have applied for, uh, you know, a ton of different stuff since then. But 
do I really want to keep doing paperwork? God damn, for the rest of my life continuously. I don't I know. Guess, I guess grading papers is uh, is paperwork. I, I get it can it. be brutish. It can be brutish for I sure. Bet, but I bet. Whatever. I, I yeah, love I, the kids. So maybe I will get into it someday, but who knows? <laughs> you definitely strike me as someone that would be uh, a great teacher. So. I love teaching. Teaching was incredible. I do, you know, if someone could just get handed over to me right now, I'd be like, sure, I'm down. But, yeah. uh, you know, the, there's a lot of red tape and the state of academia is uh, a little bit strange right now. I don't really know because I haven't been in it since COVID, but one can imagine how uh, treacherous it would be, you know. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, damn, dude, thanks for thanks for doing this. I'm glad we got to knock this out. This is this is awesome. This is uh this is one of my favorites we've done. So thank you so much. Wow. For thank you, Jeremy. Beautiful. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Ross for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now if you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And uh, you can hear Ross answer questions that were submitted by subscribers. And uh, we'd really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your week. Take care. Bye-bye.